This past Christmas Eve was uh, one of those times where uh, God reminded me that in the midst and the struggles and the challenges of vocational ministry, that he is still at work in amazing ways. Uh, we had just uh, finished the, the final candlelight service here at the church, and uh, most everyone had uh, streamed home. Uh, some of the folks were still uh, out in the, in the lobby and uh, talking and chatting a little bit, and I was kind of off to the side and away from the crowd, and I was uh, taking in kind of the remaining wonder of uh, Christmas Eve here at Living Water, uh, thanking God for enabling our team to, to faithfully uh, minister through another Advent season. And as I, I was doing this and I was all by myself, uh, th this woman, a single mom in our church family that I've, I've known for a long time, uh, she approached me. And the very fact uh, that she was at the Christmas Eve service was, was quite remarkable. Uh, over the last uh, several years, she had battled with one struggle after the next. Uh, these struggles had impacted her and had impacted her family in many different ways, and one of those ways was financially. Uh, but things were starting to turn around in her life, and, and while there was, it was still light at the end of the tunnel, uh, I knew, uh, because I had spent time with this woman, uh, that money was still tight in their household. And as the sweet woman approached me, I, I noticed that she had kind of a twinkle in her eye and, and a bounce in her step, and, and she was holding in her hand a white envelope. And she uh, handed me the envelope, and she said to me, Pastor Mike, uh, inside this envelope is the Christmas bonus that I received from my job. I want you to take this money and use it for someone who's more needy than I. I glanced inside the envelope, and inside the envelope are, are three crisp $50 bills. And for a moment, I, I just didn't know what to say. Uh, I started to, to tear up a little bit, and I, I finally I, I looked at her, and I said, I, I know things are better right now, but things are still tight in your life. And, and I really think that you should hold on to this. To which she replied, over the last few years, Pastor Mike, God has been so incredibly generous to me. This is the least I can do for someone else. And with that, she, she gave me a smile. And she said, Merry Christmas, Pastor Mike. Uh, thank you and thank... Uh, living water for all that you've done for me during these difficult times. I love you, and I love this church. And she turned, and she headed out into the dark of the parking lot, and I sat there and wonder, holding this envelope. And brothers and sisters, that, that is just one of countless stories that I can tell you about the generosity of people in our church family that I've experienced over the last 23 years. For the last two decades, I have watched people give others cash, clothes, cars, couches to sleep on, 
And I even saw them give a kidney. And that's just what I know about. Over the years, there have been endless, countless acts of generosity that have been done in secret, known only to the giver and to the recipient and to the one who sees all things. And this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about generosity. But the the generosity that I want to talk to you about uh, this morning isn't about individual generosity. We're going we're to deal with that uh, in the January, February time frame when we talk about what it looks like to be a genuine Christian. But, but this morning we're going to talk about what corporate generosity looks like. It's the generosity that occurs when our entire church family comes together uh, to meet the, the, the need of, of another person, pooling our resources so that others can be blessed and so that God can be glorified. And corporate generosity, like all the other attributes that we have talked about over the last five weeks, it's one of those telltale signs of a genuine church. And in order to see this in all of its beauty, uh, I want you to find uh, your way, make your way to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, there's Bibles on the tables around the room. Uh, feel free to get up and grab one or ask someone to pass it to you. And if you use one of the Bibles that we provide, it's on page 967, 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1, going through verse 9. If you're able to stand in honor of God's word, if you would please do so. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, to all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel also in this act of grace." I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty we might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, with what we just read, we're dealing with three different churches. Uh, The first church that that we're dealing with in this particular passage is the Christian church that is in the Grecian city of Corinth, which is uh, the recipient of, of 
this letter, 2 Corinthians, was written to the church in Corinth. The Apostle Paul wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, now Corinth was a, a cosmopolitan city. It, it sat basically in, in the, the crossroads of all the trade that would make its way around the Mediterranean Sea from the city of Rome all the way down to uh, Jerusalem and ultimately down around the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea to the city of Alexandria. And the residents uh, of this city of Corinth, they, they were primarily Gentiles. They were, were primarily non-Jews. They, they were of diverse nationalities because that's how it typically is when you're in a cosmopolitan area where there's lots of trade. People from all kinds of nationalities kind of congregate there. And, and these were folks that, that were uh, basically, for the most part, generally wealthy. So it's not uh, surprising that the Christian church that was located in Corinth was made up of a, a diverse group of people who had some level of financial means. And, and one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul had, had written the second letter to the, to the Corinthian church was to entreat them to collectively, as a church family, provide for the needs of a second church that was struggling greatly. And that brings us to the second church that's part of this whole thing, and that's the church in Jerusalem. Now, the church that was based, the Christian church that was based in the city of Jerusalem, crazy different than the church that was uh, based in Corinth. It was, the church in Jerusalem, it was made up of, of primarily Jews who happened to be very poor Jews, and, and these Jews were poor primarily for the reason that, that they were following Christ and all their other uh, Jewish brothers and sisters who were not following Christ had rejected them in a lot of ways and had shut down any of their, their kind of economic power. So, so these Christians, these Jewish Christians, they're relatively poor. And uh, to make matters worse, the region of Palestine, which Jerusalem is, is a part of, uh, they were experiencing a great famine that was going on. So they're in great need... And in order to help them, the Apostle Paul has been going around soliciting other churches to provide for the needs of these poor Jews that are located in Jerusalem. Now, there's a third church that we're dealing with here in this passage. Actually, it's, it's not just an individual church. It's actually a group of churches, uh, which Paul refers to in the first part of chapter 8. And he uses them as an illustration of what it looks like to be corporately generous. Look again at verses 1 and 2 of 2 Corinthians 8. It says, we want you to know, brothers, that's the members of the church in Corinth he's writing to, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed and a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, Macedonia is a region that is, is north of the area of Greece. So it's basically north of where Corinth would have been. It is a, a region that consisted of a number of Christian churches, most notably uh, the Christian church of Philippi, where we get the, the book of Philippians, which was the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi called Philippians, was located in Macedonia. Likewise, uh, Paul's two letters to the church in Thessalonica which we know as First and Second Thessalonians, Thessalonica was also part of Macedonia. 
So these churches in the Macedonia the region, uh, there, there's a number of them, and, and they, like the, the people in the Jews in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, they are experiencing great poverty. However, despite their poverty, they had already given generously to alleviate the suffering of their Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So we're, we're dealing this morning, we're dealing with three churches. Church number one, the church of Jerusalem who was poor and in need of financial assistance. Number two, the church of Corinth who Paul was petitioning to, to give an offering to help the church in Jerusalem. And finally, the churches of Macedonia, or Macedonia who are dirt poor but who have cobbled together money to help people in Jerusalem, Christians in Jerusalem. And it's from the Macedonian churches that we discover our big idea for today, and this is it up on the screen. You see, genuine churches joyfully and sacrificially use their resources to bless others and glorify God. Genuine churches joyfully and sacrificially use their resources to bless others and glorify God. And this big idea, it, it supports what I believe are four traits of a generous church, which we find in verse 9. Let me give them to you up front, and then we'll uh, kind of break them down over the course of the next few moments. First of all, genuine churches are mindful of the needs of others. Number two, they are undeterred by their own limitations. Number three, they're generous with their resources, and finally, what drives all of this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about what I mean by they're mindful of the needs of others. To understand this first trait of a generous church, look at verses 3 through 5 of 2 Corinthians 8. For they, the Macedonian churches, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, there is something very unusual that is happening in these particular verses, and it's tucked away in there, that speaks volumes of the generosity of the churches in Macedonia. You see, somewhere along the way, the, these Christians that are in these churches in Macedonia, they learned of the great struggles of their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are 1,400 miles away. And you need to, we're going back to the first century, folks. There's no internet, there's no satellite communication, there's no airplanes, there's no cars. I mean, for this information to make it 1,400 miles is, is pretty crazy, but it manages to make it to them. Now, this information probably came through the, the Apostle Paul, maybe one of the other people who were, were ministering with them, but the fact of that, the church in Jerusalem, uh, but, but the fact here is this, that, that the church in Jerusalem, it's not that it, the struggling was unusual here, but what we're going to see here is what it looks like to be uh, made aware of when people are actually struggling and suffering. Now, we live in a world where we are bombarded 
by the needs of others. It's everywhere. You know, right now, what, 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 there's a huge need in the Middle East. And there's a, a war going on. The, the, the Israelites have been, or the Israelis have been attacked. The Jewish people have been attacked. They, they've fought back against Hamas. Hamas has run all of uh, the Palestinians down to the south part of the country. There's a, there's a siege going on. Food's not going places. Everyone wants money. They want to move resources in there. That's just one thing. There's homelessness going on. You, you just go down through the litany of things. And, and so we see the needs of others. It could be through something that we read on the internet or hear on the radio or see on television. It could be from a conversation that, that we have with a, a family member or with a coworker. It could be something that we witness while we're driving. And regardless of the means in which we're made aware of the need, we typically don't do anything about it, especially if we're not asked, because we're overwhelmed. There's just too much stuff going on. There's, there's too many people to help. So most of the time, we just do nothing unless we're, unless we're asked. Then we may not do anything, but if we're not asked, we're doing nothing. But that wasn't how it worked for the Macedonian churches. Look at the end of verse 3 and into verse 4. He says, Of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You see, when the Macedonian churches found out that their brothers and sisters were suffering in Jerusalem, of their own, that's the whole of their own accord part, at the end of verse 3, they begged for the favor, for the privilege of helping. You see, genuine churches don't have to be asked to alleviate the suffering of others. When God places a need before them, they act. And, and leaders of, of genuine churches, they, they know What's going on in their area of influence? They know the struggles of their community. They, they, they know the pain of their community. They know the opportunities in their community. And of their own accord, they act. They don't need someone to, to tell them what to do. Genuine churches, they self-engage. So much so that in the case of the Macedonian church, they earnestly begged to help. And why did they do that? Because they saw that it was a privilege to help others. It wasn't a burden. It was, was a privilege. In 2004, God graciously provided these 28 acres of land to living water for an unbelievable $250,000. Who in the world gets 28 acres of land right outside the city limits for $250,000? It just doesn't happen by accident. And when that happened, our leaders came to realize that God didn't give us this, this property to selfishly 
hoard it for ourselves. To put up no trespassing signs. To, 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 to gate off the driveway. That, 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 that God had, had given this as an opportunity for our church family to, to creatively proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ by graciously sharing with others. And so back then in 2004, the, the leaders of our church family guided our entire church family to, to look at the needs around us. And what did we discover? We discovered that many of our neighbors couldn't afford to buy food or to fix their cars. And so all of us together, collectively, of our own accord, empowered by God's grace, we, we created that community resource center up on the hill, uh, for, and we put a food pantry in there, and we put a car repair ministry in there so that we could help people in need in our community. Back then, our, our leaders saw that our neighbors needed safe recreational places. So all of us together, of our own accord, empowered by God's grace, we created together a playground for kids to play in and, and parking lots for, for people to bring their kids up and learn how to ride their bikes and learn how to drive and parallel park. We, we created a, a place for uh, fields and trails for people to walk on. And, and even though some of the people take advantage of us and go under the bridge here and smoke marijuana while our ladies are out there praying yesterday, that really freaked the two guys that were smoking marijuana out yesterday. They come out from underneath the, the bridge with a buzz and they're greeted with 50 women who are praying. It's like, welcome to living water, you know. Our leaders also saw of their own accord that smaller churches needed larger places to perform weddings and funerals. And so we regularly share this place with others. And it's not easy. Uh, when when, when uh, James Tate gives Patrick a call and says, hey, I got to you know, we don't have enough room in our funeral home and the church this person attends isn't big enough and we need a place for 500 people to have a service. Can we have it? Uh, pa Patrick is crazy generous with that. We, all, we say yes whenever we possibly can. We rarely say no. It's a major stressor on our staff. I mean, we've we got to help get things set up. We've got to help tear things down. We've got to clean up the bathrooms and stuff like that. But why do we do that? Because God has given us this and we need to be generous with it. Just this past Monday night, uh, hardly anybody knows this, but, but there were 80 students and their parents who traveled from western Pennsylvania to, go for the, to walk at the March for Life that was in front of the Capitol this past Monday. And I got a phone call a couple weeks prior uh, from a, a friend of mine who knew about these folks and knew that uh, we typically say yes to that, and they said, hey, we just need a place to feed our kids. We're bringing all, they own, all, all our food. And, and so on Monday night, I showed up here at 5 o'clock because I didn't want the staff to have to come in and do it. I showed up at 5 o'clock, opened the doors. These 80 kids came in. They saw the playground. They went right to the playground, basically. And, and I had no idea what the menu was, all right? So we didn't have, like, tables set up. We figured it, I figured they're going to feed kids pizza. We'll just set them on the floors. They show it with spaghetti. 
I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So bongos, taps by, we're grabbing tables, pulling chairs out there. But I mean, it, well, why do you do that? Because we're mindful of the needs of our community. But it transcends our property. When our leaders saw that people needed financial assistance, we all together, of our own accord, created a, a compassion fund which allows us over the last 12 years to give away over a half million dollars to our community, to individual people walking through the door, trying to figure out how they can pay rent or medical bills or utility bills or immigration assistance. And when our, our church leaders saw back then that new churches needed to be started, we set aside a portion of our, our, our resources. All of us collectively did that to help start churches. And over the last several years, we've helped start church, two churches in Texas, a church in Florida, a church in High Aspire, a church in Midtown, and a church down in Ecuador. We provided well over $100,000 for doing this. Now, you've got to understand me here. This isn't bragging. And we don't always do things right. We didn't do them right back then. We don't always do things right now. We don't get it right every time. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we miss opportunities. And we miss them for all kinds of different reasons. Sometimes we miss it because we're overwhelmed and we just can't do it. Other times we, we miss it because we succumb to our own selfishness, our own flesh. And it's like, yeah, I just, I just don't, don't want to do this right now. And sometimes we're simply distracted by other things. But more times than not, all of us together, us, we're, we're, we're mindful of the needs of others because that's what genuine churches do. They proactively look for opportunities that God places before them so that they can be generous to others. God drops those opportunities in our laps and we have an opportunity to say yes or no. We have an opportunity to be blessed by God or to miss a blessing. Now, in addition to being mindful of the needs of others, genuine churches are also undeterred by their own limitations. So go ahead and take a look at verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So how does Paul uh, describe the condition of the churches that are in Macedonia? It says that they're experiencing serious affliction and extreme poverty. So the question becomes, why is that the case? Why, why are these churches struggling? Well, we, we get a glimpse of what's going on for these Christian churches in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts is a, a, a history of the early church. And so when we want to find out what's happening in other books of the New Testament, a lot of times we can go to the book of Acts and find out some of the context, some of the history. And if you look at Acts chapter 16, what we're going to discover here is that, that Paul and Silas are in the Macedonian city of Philippi. And they, they have just performed a, a successful exorcism of a de demon-possessed slave girl who was being exploited by her owners as a fortune teller. So there's this slave girl, uh, she's demon-possessed, 
She is telling people's fortunes. The money that she's earning is going back to the, to, to the evil men who ultimately own this woman. And so verse 19 of Acts chapter 16 picks up with a story. It says, But when her, the slave girl's owners, saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. And they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison the depths of the dungeon, basically, and fastened their feet in stocks. So here we are. These guys, they're attacked by the crowd. Their, their garments are stripped away from them. They're beat with rods. They're thrown in prison. Their feet are constrained in stocks. That, brothers and sisters, is a definition of severe affliction. But these Christians that are, that are living in Macedonia, they're not only facing physical abuse from people who aren't happy with them, they're also experiencing extreme poverty. Now, two centuries before all of this went down, in the region of Macedonia, it was crazy prosperous because there were a bunch of gold mines there. But eventually the gold gets mined out of uh, all of the caverns, Barbarians come down and invade the area. Uh, wars are fought on their soil, and the Macedonian economy is decimated. And on the surface, it would seem as the Christians living in Macedonia could barely meet their own needs, let, let alone figure out how to meet the needs of people who they haven't met who are 1,400 miles away from them. Yet despite all they had going against them, they were undeterred by their own limitations, which allowed them to have an abundance of wealth and generosity in the midst of their struggles. Now, regardless of what our culture teaches us, that, that, that joy and generosity, folks, they are not dependent upon our circumstances. Joy and generosity, they're not dependent on, on our physical, emotional, spiritual, or financial trials. If we're having those, these struggles, it's not that we can't have joy and generosity in the midst of them. Jesus' half-brother, James, teaches us this in James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, joy comes from a life of faith that actually is strengthened, not weakened, by trials. And that's the joy that enables us to be undeterred 
in the midst of whatever limitations that we might have. And, and, and genuine churches, they, they understand this principle because they have experienced trials. If you're a, a faithful church, trials will come your way. Genuine churches know what it's like to cling to the absolute word and truth of God against the relentless push of relativism in our culture. The stuff that gets said from this pulpit week in and week out goes against the grain. People do not like it. But you don't stop doing it. Why? Because it's the truth of God's word. The, the genuine churches, they know what it's like to be ridiculed and rebuked and rejected because they believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. People say that's so incredibly exclusive. And we say, we're just sharing what God's word teaches Genuine churches know what it's like to, to be misunderstood and maligned and mistreated because we hold to a biblical understanding of gender and sexuality and marriage. They know what it's like to have their good deeds castigated as bad and their acts of love labeled as hate. And they know what it's like to have limited funds and yet heed the call of God to help others. And while everybody else is circling the wagons and seeking to protect their own interests and guarding their own resources and acting out of an attitude of scarcity, genuine churches are undeterred by their limitations as they seek to minister to other people. And that brings us to the third trait of a genuine church. In addition to being mindful of the needs of others, in addition to being undeterred by their own limitations, genuine churches are generous with their resources. Look again at verses 2 through 4. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now, I want you to notice in verse 4, there's a role reversal that happens here. Normally, the person who does the asking for the money has to beg the giver to make the donation. That's the way that it typically works. But here, the giver is the one actually doing the begging. The Macedonians, they are pleading with the Apostle Paul for the privilege of helping their fellow Christians in Jerusalem. And, and brothers and sisters, giving to help others. Folks, it's a privilege. It, it's not a burden. And because it's a privilege, it's a joy to give of our resources. All you got to do to figure this out, pull, pull Mike Bongo or Miss Grace aside one day, and they'll tell you how this actually works. Every week, there are between probably 8 and 18 people who walk through those front doors 
during the workday to fill out a request for assistance from our Compassion Fund. And Mike Bongo and Miss Grace, they don't always say yes to people because sometimes after screening the request, the most loving thing that we can do for people sometimes is to tell them no. But, but there are those times when someone walks through our doors and we hear their story and we check out their story because we always check out people's stories. We call landlords, we call DJs, we call the police department. Whatever they say has happened, we make calls to figure out whether people are actually telling us the truth because believe it or not, some people actually lie. I was a, you should laugh at that a little bit or cry, one of the two. And then there are times when all of this checks out. Lots of times when all of this checks out. And we know that we know that we know that we need to help them. Earlier this year, uh, there was a young woman who, who came uh, to Living Water. And uh, uh, she came and she parked her car underneath the overhang here uh, before anyone had arrived for work. And, and she sat there and, and she was waiting. She had, she had seen the, the sign for the church on Derry Street. And she had come here for really one reason and one reason alone. Is that she needed pastoral guidance in prayer. That's what she was looking for. And uh, so Pastor Ben and, and the staff start arriving, and, and she engages Pastor Ben. Now, Pastor Ben, uh, if I recall right, that was a preaching weekend for him. And so we, we do our best to, to, when, you know, whoever's preaching that week, we try to protect their time and stuff like that. But, but I wasn't here, and I don't think Bonga was in yet. And so uh, Pastor Ben, he, he takes an hour and a half, and uh, he listens to this woman. And she pours out her story. And the more that Pastor Ben hears this woman's story, the more that the Holy Spirit is prompting him to realize that this woman needs more than pastoral guidance in prayer. That she had some very, very pressing needs that had to be addressed. And her story, it was absolutely heartbreaking. She and her family, they, they were living, her, she, her husband, and her kids, they, they were living in a home where it was an extraordinarily dangerous living situation with some of the other residents of the home. And they had to get away, and they had to move out, so they had located a modest apartment. They, they had, had cobbled together the security deposit that, that's needed for, the, to, for this apartment, but they had no idea how to pay the first month's rent. Now, you need to understand something. This woman, she does not know living water from Adam. She has, she has no idea that we have a compassion fund. She, she has absolutely no idea that we limit our assistance to people outside of our church family to $300 unless there's some crazy reason to do something more than that. And she has no idea that Pastor Ben is going to pass her off to Miss Grace and that Miss Grace is going to become her biggest advocate for that week. Now, after talking with this young woman, 
Grace knew that, that we needed to do something, and she knew that we needed to do something in an extraordinarily generous way. So after vetting this young woman's story, which involved multiple phone calls to multiple people that were familiar with the situation, our church family, led by Miss Grace, provided this woman, she, she didn't come asking for a dime. We provided the first month's rent, two nights in a motel so that she could immediately, with her husband and kids, be in a safe place. Giant gift cards so that she could actually buy groceries, which allows them this transition time well and above what we would normally do. And why do we do that? Why do we collectively as a church family, represented in this case by Miss Grace, why do we do this? Look at the end of verse 4. For the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You see, the Macedonian churches generously and sacrificially gave to the Jerusalem churches, not out of obligation or manipulation, but rather out of joy in the favor that comes with the relieving the struggles of others. When we found out that that woman had made her way into that apartment, it's like high-fiving in the office, we're cheering, we're having a party, because we were blessed to be able to bless someone else. And we blessed that young woman but we experienced such a greater blessing. You know, make no mistake about it, generous churches are generous with their resources. Now the final thing is this. What drives it? What makes generous churches and genuine churches do this? We find the answer in verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, the driving force behind the generosity of genuine churches is gratitude for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 3, which George referred to earlier, which is kind of cool because we didn't talk about this, the Bible makes it clear what that, that every person is spiritually impoverished. Listen to, to the full context of Romans chapter 3. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and ministry, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear before God, of God before their eyes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of God's perfect standard of righteous living, and as a result, we are all spiritually impoverished. And like those Christians living in the church of Jerusalem, we have no hope unless someone provides for us. And that is exactly what Jesus did. In heaven, Jesus had everything. He had power and glory and honor and perfection and the worship of angels. But he gave it all up 
Why? For you and me. That's what he did. He gave it up for all of us. He leaves the glory of heaven. Takes upon himself human flesh, fully man, fully God, tempted in every way, but without sin. Fully experiencing everything that you and I experience, yet never falling short of God's perfect standard. And he gives himself up as a sacrifice to satisfy God's righteous wrath against our sin that should claim our eternal souls. Yet Jesus suffers and dies in our place so that we might live. Jesus sacrificed everything for us. And when we get our head wrapped around that, when we fully understand the graciousness of the God of the universe towards us, we can't help but be generous to others. And genuine churches, they get that. Because at the heart of everything is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's at the heart. That is the thing that keeps us together. People will come up to me all the time and like, Pastor Mike, how, how, do, how does a church that has all of these diverse people from all of these different backgrounds and political persuasions and sometimes theological differences and, and life experiences and different colors. How in the world does everybody get along? And I tell them simply, we make the first thing the first thing. The moment we let go of the gospel, this place implodes. And the moment that we let go of the gospel is the moment that we become forward or inward focused, trying to protect ourselves. Generosity goes out the window because genuine churches understand the gospel is everything. And if the gospel needs to be everything inside of this church, brothers and sisters, the gospel needs to be everything in your life. It needs to be the reason why you and I exist. It needs to drive every decision that we make, every word that we say, every action that we take, everything that we believe. It should influence the way that we look at our world and politics and others and the news. That is the center. That is what grounds and that is where you and I need to cling with all of our heart. Let's pray. Lord God, you are good. Thank you for this time. I thank you for, uh, Lord, creating an extraordinary group of people who love you deeply, who are crazy generous, that allows this church to be crazy generous. Lord God, would you continue to put opportunities before us? Would we never operate, Heavenly Father, out of an attitude of scarcity? But Lord, might we remember that you are the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hillsides. And Lord, that you, uh, though you were rich, you became poor on our behalf so that we might know your riches. And may, Lord God, we pour that out onto others. And in the process, I pray, Heavenly Father, that, Lord, as we 
communicate not only the gospel with our actions, but we communicate the gospel with our mouths, that those that we interact with might confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead. For that is how we are all saved. And all God's people said, amen.